You know, for me, it was uh, October 1984 in the pool at Rothfey outside in some fairly uncomfortable weather uh, when I got baptized. As a 20, 21-year-old, I think it was back then. And uh, just the joy, the experience of seeing everything that God has done in, in this symbol of baptism. See, baptism is a symbol not, not, not uh, of just a, sort of a touch from God that maybe comes in our life, but it is the symbol of the death and resurrection of Jesus. The death, he went, he went to death willingly. De- Jesus didn't just come and die as kind of some kind of rescue operation as kind of with a whip behind and commanding him, he went to the cross joyfully to give us his life. The power of the cross is that with joy, Jesus went to that cross, laying down his life, so that we, in joining with him in baptism, this is what the Bible says, as, as we read through it, it says that we have been crucified with Christ. That what it says, if you are united with Christ's death, that's what it says in Romans 6, through baptism, you will be united with him in his resurrection. That's an awesome promise. See, that's what baptism is. Baptism, first and foremost, is our funeral service. It is the public statement of something that's gone on inside. That's why we don't baptize babies. But what is exciting today is each of those children, because they know Jesus themselves, not just as their parents' God, but my God. When that's what they can express, they're old enough to get baptized, if that's what they want to do. So as a church, we don't baptize babies, we do baptize children when they can tell us This kind of exciting relationship we've got. And that is what baptism service this morning has been all about. This public declaration before every angel's. I'm united with Christ. He lives in me. And the life I now live, I'm living for God. Wow! Isn't that fun? But you see, what that then brings us to is this next step. You see, just like Jesus... Jesus brought himself to the Father, submitted to baptism, and submitted publicly to the plan of God for his life. You see, that's part of it. It's, 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 it in the pool, they don't actually get saved. They're already saved. They've already given their lives. Jesus already has done that work in their hearts. And the baptism pool is the place of submission. It's the place where we're saying, God first... In everything, the whole plan, the whole plan that you have for my life, Jesus, that's what I'm saying yes to. That's the exciting part about it. Now, that's what Jesus did. Jesus, he recognized the high call upon his life and he lived that life in complete submission to the Father, not doing anything of his own plans, but doing what the Father wanted. And that was a fruit-filled life. 
It was a life that's brought so many people into right relationship with God. He'd done for you and for me what was impossible for us to do ourselves. And that, that's part of it, you know. So, so we read about this in 2 Timothy 1. It talks about fanning into flame the gift of God that's been imparted through the laying on of hands. So as the kids got out, the baptism pool, as the youth got out, there were people praying with them, speaking and prophesying God's plans into their lives. But they've already heard from God. So that word that they were spoken there matches with the word that God already spoken to their parents, the word matched with the word that God spoke to their hearts, and you see there's a working of all of this together. You see, the church, we have a responsibility as the family of God. It's not the parents' responsibility on their own. It's not the kids' responsibility on their own. It's our responsibility with them to see this generation that's rising, serving God, not just with all their heart, but led by the Spirit, doing it His way too. You know, there's, a, there's a, some scriptures here that I've just got here. If you just want to write these down, 1 Timothy 1, uh, sorry, 2 Timothy 1 that I've just mentioned. It says, it says, it talks about this laying under the hands, and it's not a spirit of timidity. It's not a spirit of fear, but it's a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind or a right discipline, so that we're able to lay hold of the things that God's got for us. That we're being led in the right way. Not, not just all over the place, but a clear understanding. And so Ephesians 4 Verse 1 says that we're to live a life worthy of the call. There's a sense of this call that God has got on our lives. And it talks about this in Hebrews 3 verse 1. It talks about we share in this heavenly calling, therefore we fix our eyes on Jesus. So we've got this call, we've got this plan, but we're also understanding. We've got our eyes fixed on where we're going and the one who is showing us how to live our lives. Who's talking to us about how to live those lives. You see, these are, these are quite powerful. You see, this is why Peter, it says in 2 Peter 1, it says we're to make that calling and election sure. Now I've got two people I just want to mention about from uh, the Bible. One was the biggest strong man that the world's known, a guy called Samson. We read about Samson in Judges. Judges 13, 14, 15, 16. Those chapters. Samson was a man who was a miracle baby. His parents couldn't have kids. God sent an angel and said... This man, this baby, this child is going to be mighty deliverer for his nation. And he said, the, the angel said to the, the parents, these are the things you need to do. He's going to be a Nazarite. He is going to be set apart from birth for the purposes that God's got for him. And so the, the parents were really wise because... Having had this encounter with God's angel, they prayed again and send, said, send him back so we've got some instructions about how we should live. 
And the angel comes back and teaches him, don't do this, no, it mustn't have this happen. Give some explanations. If you read about this in Judges 13, there's some very simple directions. But one of those was, and it's echoed because God spoke this in Numbers chapter 6. If you just want to look this up afterwards, you can listen to the podcasts again. And you can just catch these scriptures in pod. In number six, it says that a Nazarite is someone who takes special vows, who's committed to God, and one of the things he's not allowed to do is touch any dead thing. The Nazarite is about life. A Nazarite is someone who is committed, set apart for the things of life, not of death. And so what we see with Samson, Samson was a man who was incredibly powerful. Many of you have heard of Samson and Delilah, you'll know that story a little bit. But Samson was a man of incredible power. But he had a slight character problem. His strength was never tempered by his character. So the first thing we read about in in, uh, Judges 13 of the acts of power is he kills a lion with his bare hands. Sees a massive demonstration. This lion that attacks him rips it apart with his bare hands. The power of God's on him to do the plans that God's got. God called him to be a deliverer. So he kills this lion, leaves it. But then he's walking back another day and he sees this lion that he's killed. But inside it, there's honey. Bees have made, inside the carcass, they've made uh, a honey, they've made their nest, they've made, and there's honey. And he goes and he takes honey, sweet things, tasty things, out of something that's dead. What is a Nazarite not to do? Touch anything dead. But you see, sweet things, things that look amazing, can be in dead stuff that we're not supposed to touch. And so the first thing, he does a miracle, and then he's immediately compromising. Here's the symbol of his victory, symbol of God's power in his life, the symbol for his parents to see, but actually, it's also the symbol of his first compromise. And from that compromise, he then takes that honey and shares it with his parents and he leads them into sin. So he makes them unclean too. Isn't that shocking? We start to realize the call of God on our lives, the call of God on our children, both the parents can be led into sin by the children and the children can be led into sin by the parents. There's a dual thing going on. But then Samson ends up in a battle with the Philistines. And what does he pick up? He picks up a dead animal's jaw. So the next time he is called upon by God to deliver his people, he doesn't, he's not ready, he's not a deliverer who has worked on the word of God. The word of God is a sword of the spirit. 
So instead of being ready to be the deliverer the way God's designed, he is doing it in his own power with a dead thing. Instead of that anointing, that deliverance, that power being expressed by a prepared soldier who is wielding the word of God correctly, living according to the promises, he's having to pick up something lying around that actually speaks of compromise and dead. So there's a mixture going on of spirit and flesh. Yet we know the word of God divides between soul and spirit. It divides the very thoughts, the very attitudes of our hearts, showing us what's spirit and what's not. But we have a promise from God that he will lead us, he will guide us, he will teach us, he will command us, and his word is life to us. The word of God is life to us. It's health to our bones. It's a lamp to our feet. It's understanding in our minds. See, God doesn't call us to blind faith. He speaks a word and expects us to operate on that word, not as blind faith, but believing that God, my God knows what he is doing with me. And so if he speaks a word, I need to line up with that word in my life. Even though there's other ways that are quick ways to go. And see what Samson, this incredibly powerful man, starts in compromise and it leads to his death because he actually then tells his secrets to a woman that he should never even be in with in the first place. Now, complete contrast, we have Jesus coming and getting baptized. And we read about that in Matthew chapter 4. And and, and John who's going to baptize and goes, Hey, there's one person who does not need to get baptized. It's you. Perfect life, the Son of God. You're the one I'm testifying about. And Jesus goes, No. In complete submission, I'm coming before the Father to lay my whole life before him. Not my will, his will. And Jesus, the Son of God, the one with the greatest plan of all, gets baptized. And the first thing the devil does is come and tempt him. And what we read about this in in, in Matthew 4, Jesus come and tested, tested to use his anointing for himself. He's praying and he's fasting. You're hungry. Take the stone that's right in front of you, this horrible place that you're in, this desert place, this barren land that all you can see is barrenness. You're hungry because you've been fasting. It's okay. Turn that into bread. And who knows, it's only a temptation if you can actually do it. If you can't do it, there's no temptation. So Jesus was able to turn the stone to bread. Okay? Yeah, I need to get this to sink into our minds sometimes. If you can't do it, it's not temptation. So Jesus is faced with the first test 
this power, this anointing, this Jesus, everyone heard from heaven, this is my son, I am well pleased. How many parents were like, they're dancing, my kid just got baptized, wow, wow, cool is that? And the first thing, do something with the anointing for yourself. You're hungry, you're famished, turn, get some food from the anointing. And then the next thing is, he takes him and he goes, throw yourself off the temple. Let everyone see how amazing your anointing is. Let everyone around you see your fame. So food and fame. The first two temptations. Feed yourself and get famous. Use the anointing to get people's attention. And then the final one, he goes and takes him and shows him all the kingdoms. And he says, here's the plan of God, but let me show you the fast track. The fast track. You can use your anointing to do it the fast way with no cost. Food, fame, and fast track. Three Fs. (laughs) I managed to get my three-point sermon in. Use that anointing so don't go through the cost. Don't worry about being obscurity. Don't worry about not having money or food. Use the anointing your way. Shortcut it. Samson compromised his anointing and he ended up in death. Jesus still ended up in death, but death couldn't hold him. He rose from the dead because the life he led was such a one of submission, such a one of being led by God, not using his anointing for himself. And so we stand, sit here today in church with an open heaven this morning. Jesus seated with the Father bidding us come and give our lives to him. Come and receive the life he wants to give to us. That's the message of salvation. It's not a case of get your sins forgiven. That's not enough. God wants to give us a brand new heart, brand new life. A life led by him, enabled by him, understanding every part of the things that we're going through. A life of anointing grace, where our children are mighty in the land are growing in the land, growing with us, provoking us to faith, us provoking them to faith. Not compromising in our anointing, but going with it for God. I know who I want to be a follower of. Jesus. Jesus. Mary, we hear in Luke 2, she treasured the things that were spoken about God. About Jesus, by the Lord. She treasured them, she pondered them, she worked them, she spoke them out over Jesus. We have promises about our kids that we are speaking out over them to see them come about. Our children are today's church, they're the leaders of their generation, they are city changers, they are God's servants today, not tomorrow. That's why we say to them, you understand? Come and get baptized. 
But that's the same challenge that we lay before adults. For me, I was an adult when I became a Christian. All sorts of stuff that you don't even want to know about. I don't want to remember. That turnaround was a significant one for me. But again, today, what are we then living with? You see, that first point of calling, of anointing, is the start. What happens next? You're going to use it for food, you're going to use it for fame, and you're going to use it to fast-track yourself straight into death. Or are you going to allow yourself to be led by the Spirit, fulfill the plans of God in your life, see them fulfilled in your kids' lives in such a way that this nation lives in the revival that God's planned for it. This nation is turning back to God. This nation is turning back to God because godly men and women are seeking his face and according to his promise, he has promised to reach out and heal the land. Heal the people. Transform lives. But there's another, I'm just going to finish with this right now. There were three anointed men of God in the Bible. Eli was a servant of the Most High who didn't live out his anointing, and his sons, God spoke a curse and said they will never lead the nation. So Eli, his sons, they got killed on the battlefield. Samuel was raised up by God under Eli's anointing, but with a greater anointing, and he served the land... But there was a problem. He hadn't learned fatherhood either. And his kids didn't serve the Lord either. Because he didn't have it modelled to him what parenthood was and how to live with the anointing as a parent demonstrating to the children how to live. So Samuel's kids were also rejected. And God raised up a king under Samuel called David. Unfortunately, David also had understood wrong parenting. And all of his kids, bar one, did wrong stuff. Tried to steal the crown, they tried to do all sorts of stuff. They brought disgrace on the nation, even though David served the Lord. Three generations led the, led the nation, and not one of them passed on to the next generation, the anointing in the right way. Kids, you've got an amazing call in your life. Parents, God's not given up on the call of the Lord in your life. Part of that call is to raise the kids right. Church, you may look at yourself and go, I have no kids naturally. You are commanded by the Lord today. If you've not heard this before, hear it today. You are commanded by the Lord to be those who bring up this generation to serve the Lord. There is a challenge next door of a building, but there is a challenge of children's workers, detached workers, youth workers, Tots workers. Our tots are getting saved at three and four and getting filled with the Holy Spirit. But someone's got to teach that. 
Someone's got to model that. Someone's got to help that happen. So that from that very young age, our kids grow right the way up through their teens. No rebellion. The Bible says, train a child when it's young in the ways of the Lord and it shall not depart. If you want to see the youth serving God like our youth are today, it's because we've raised them from a young age to know the Lord, to be filled with the Spirit, to know him as their God. Not just their parents' God, but their God. And that takes every single person in this church to get involved in children's ministry, to get involved on the Sundays when the kids are running around and you just, you don't shout at them, but you go, hey, just calm down a sec. Or you just pray for the parents. Claire and I would not be the parents that we've been, but for people praying for us when we got crossed and lost it with our kids. We have got it wrong so many times. But I praise God my kids are serving the Lord. Today, let's use, let's dedicate our lives to the Lord. As children, as parents, as single people who have never had kids, as grandparents whose kids have gone out serving the Lord, doing other things, let's just rededicate our lives this morning to let God be God and to recognize he's placed a call on our lives to see a nation changed through us. Let's just stand. Let's just, let's just respond to the Lord right now. Let's just respond to the Lord. Just recognize, Father, I recognize today that you called me. You set me apart for a fantastic, glorious life of following you, being empowered by you, And Jesus, today, I surrender afresh to that call. I ask you to forgive me if there's any area of my life where I've used that anointing for my own purposes. Whether it's food, whether it's fame, whether it's to fast track things. I recognize your ways are best, Lord. I recognize... That I don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Lord, I thank you. Yes, you may have commanded your angels concerning me. But Father, I thank you. I thank you that fame from men is not what I seek. But Father, I will not put you to the test. I will let you prove yourself, but I will not put you to the test in wrong ways. And Father, I will not fast track things, trying to use the anointing to bypass cost, to bypass pain, to bypass the sacrifice that you called me to. But today, Jesus, I surrender my life. There is no other God that I will serve but you. Jesus, I dedicate my life. I surrender and I ask you to fill me afresh today.